This is a Soul Fire production. Well, 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 we're back. It's been one of the craziest weeks of my life, and it's been kind of enjoyable, a little bit overwhelming, but, oh, we're here. Quick reminder, if you are into this show, if you dig what this is about, if you dig the content that I'm producing and you are not a backer on Patreon, then you are a communist, my friend. You are a communist, at least a socialist, and you will will be dealt with as such. So if you want to change that, hit the link in the show notes and get that premium Wanders content. We're just creating a home for the politically homeless. All right, there's a $6 tier and a $15 tier. You can be an operative or you can be in the deep state. You're going to get a bonus episode every week that is 100% crowdsourced. We're diving into the topics that you want to dive into and having a good time doing it. And I love those shows. They're super, super fun. Now... If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen a little bit of a blow up. Um, I had taken a pretty strong stance against the idea that influencers um, should be shamed into compliance with uh, the BLM narrative, and it started a little bit of a fire. So I ended up having a debate with someone uh, who is incredibly um, far left. And really got into some interesting ground, I felt like. I felt like it was it was good to hear. I mean, when you hear all these things about how there are people within um, a certain ideology that believe that if you aren't in alignment with their ideology, then you are a fascist or you are a racist or you are problematic. And that the world would be better if everybody agreed with them. And doing so with very little sense of economics, policy, or human behavior in general. So that was kind of the uh, the, the premise for the conversation that we had, and it was it was heated, and it was it was challenging, and I could have done a better job. Um, but I feel like, as far as everything goes, uh, it could it could have been worse. And it, you know, it turned into a full day of me being accused of not respecting women. Um, I was also called racist and transphobic, of course. Um, and that <laughs> I had a hard time swallowing the idea that if you aren't, uh, if you haven't picked a side, if you are independent um, or undecided or or centrist, that you are condoning uh, and complicit in white supremacy, in authoritarianism, in fascism. Which sounds like a fascist viewpoint to me, but that's just me. So it was really an interesting day, and I don't take a lot of that stuff lightly. Like if 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 someone calls me uh, racist or transphobic, I don't really it doesn't hold a charge for me um, because the evidence of my life, of my actions, and and I mean I have hours and hours of recorded content, so you can go back and review um, me as a person essentially through that content. But when someone says something as egregious as, uh, I am a rapist, uh, sympathizer and that I am uh, disrespectful to women, that is something I take seriously and, and had to do my best to speak up, um, against that, but really, really interesting how that all shook out. So 
one thing you can do if you want to kind of support this show, if you're not going to sign up for Patreon, or if you have signed up for Patreon, it doesn't matter, um, is go over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, leave some kind words, and those reviews mean a lot, a lot for new listeners of the show, for any kind of guests that we may bring on um, to The Realness, which is going to be making some changes soon as well. But that would be really helpful. So if you've got a little time, you can do it while you're listening to the show. Just go over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star review, leave some kind words. If you're feeling it, I would love to see that. So a couple things have happened. Lots of stuff is going on. We're going to get into, um, we're going to, you know, I, I found some common ground with Ben Shapiro, but as we point out, hypocrisy on this show is one of the primary drivers of this content. We're going to point out a little bit of hypocrisy on his end. We're going to talk about Republicans distancing themselves from Trump. We're going to talk about vaccines, the impeachment slash 25th Amendment proceedings to try and get Trump out of office. Um, Trump being deplatformed, of course, we're going to get into that. And then I'm going to take a pretty aggressive stance on Parler getting just beat to death um, via the Internet. And in something to think about today, we're going to talk about how all of this, this whole entire situation can be used against us and how it is being used against us. Because that's something that's really, really important to be aware of, in my opinion. So, I think that's it. I'm excited. If you love this show, be sure to share it. I'm kind of mixing in my promotion here with, <laughs> with our topics. But um, if you love this show, share it. That also means a lot. Just grab a screenshot, throw it on social media, tag me. Um, and let's get this out there because here's here's the thing that I'm starting to realize uh, after having done this for almost, I guess, seven, eight months now, very consistently, is that there is a need, and I'm not saying that I am, I want to, with, with this caveat, right? I, there is a need for independent dialogue and open discussion. Um, I'm very open to that, and I enjoy uh, being aggressively independent slash politically homeless and and observing, pointing out and calling out hypocrisy, division, and things that I feel like are counterproductive to our progress as a nation. What I'm noticing after all of this madness that's happened happened in the last week or so is that that audience is growing. So people are looking for content like this, which is great for me, obviously, but it's also great for all of us because we're having this dialogue. And when we do things like we, we, what we do in the Patreon, where we actually have a conversation that is crowdsourced, right? As far as podcasts go, until I can get a call-in feature on this show, the Patreon community is the best way to create a dialogue to where what we're doing is more of a conversation than me talking at you. I don't feel like it's very productive for me to talk at you. Right, and tell you this is how you should think. That's not my goal here. My goal is to share my perspective, which of course is biased, and I try and point out my own my own internal biases as as we go through the show. But when we have something like the Patreon episode, we're having more of a conversation, which I really, really appreciate. So share the show if you love it. It means a lot to me, and I think it is we are creating a really strong community around objectivity, common sense, critical thinking, and and finding progress, real sustainable progress and solutions to the common problems because what we have a lot of times within our politics is an agreed upon set of problems and vehement disagreement on the solutions and that to me if we can get back to that place we've been there we're not there now but we've been to a place where we were disagreeing on things that mattered we had division on things that mattered and division can drive progress if you're disagreeing on things that matter right so we're having we're having a, a, a heated debate potentially on health care or gun laws, right? 
things that, that can move us forward. And it's important to hear both sides of those debate and seek to understand both sides and steel man both sides. And to be able to do that, I think, is a skill set and it's something that we've lost culturally that, uh, that, that we have to stand up for and create within our own lives and our own discourse. So with all that being said, let's get into it. It's time for the state of things. Benny, Benny, Benny Shapiro, my man. Now, I've grown to enjoy Ben Shapiro more in the past month or so just because of his legal commentary. I found that's been very helpful for me uh, in breaking down all of this, whether it be election fraud stuff or impeachment stuff. But I want to point out, this this is a video that he released just after just after the, the riots at the Capitol. And he had his assessment on what he thought was going to happen. And I understand where he's coming from. I get what he's coming from. I don't think he's wrong, but I want to hear this. I want you to hear this. And then we're going to talk about exactly what he's saying, what he's meaning, and maybe point out uh, a blind spot that he may have. And I think this, this can be helpful in when you're looking at people's arguments that uh, you maybe disagree with or people that are prolific in a space, um, how they may be disconnected with their own internal bias. So let's go ahead and check this out. So as always, many things can be true at once. But the one thing that is certainly true is that there's about 90% unity in this country. I would assume higher, maybe 95% unity. That breaking into the Capitol building and running roughshod through that building is bad. That is a problem. As we'll see, the left is now refusing to acknowledge that. Because the left sees a way to make a political gain here. And the way to make a political gain is to take the bad people who broke into the Capitol building and did violence and attacked police officers and lump them in with literally everybody on the right. So those are the two dueling. So let's get, get let's, let's kind of clear up what he's saying here. You're saying that the left wants to take everybody who associated with Trump or voted for Trump or was a Trump supporter and lump them in with the people that stormed the Capitol and use that to make political gain. Narratives that we are going to get from the left over the coming months, over the coming years, it's going to have significant ramifications for your life. Because what they're going to do is they're going to suggest, one, that every bad thing is part and parcel of the white supremacist nation that is the United States, a point made by both Joe Biden and Kamala Harris yesterday. These were the the, the captains of unity. They're going to bring the country together, right? Joe Biden keeps saying unity, unity, unity. And then he turns around and he parrots woke bull. Okay, so that's point number one. And then narrative number two is that everybody on the right is guilty for what happened, that if you voted for Trump, you knew this was going to happen. This is part and parcel of it. You wanted this to happen. This is part and parcel of, of what was what Trumpism was. Right? That, that simply voting against the left, simply voting against Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and AOC and Nohan Omar and all the rest of the crew, that doing that meant that you were okay with what happened at the Capitol building. That is the second narrative. And that, of course, is going to lead to censorship, as we'll get to. Okay, well, the, the big news of the day. All right, so... That's just a brief thing that he had to say there, and he kind of kind of breaking that down, which is fine. He's not wrong, right? Ben Shapiro is not wrong in what he's saying. That absolutely is happening. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are doing a really 
terrible job of unifying, even though they keep saying unity over and over again, as if just saying it over and over again means anything, when they could have taken that opportunity to give us something. And if you read uh, Sebastian Younger's book, Tribes, you'll understand that if something like that happens and you have an opportunity where 80, 90, 95% potentially of, you, of, of Americans are united kind of against an action or against a foe or an ideology that we feel is damaging, that actually brings people together and they start to overlook um, their superficial differences and create a better environment for one another. This happens a lot of times in wars. This happened a lot during World War II in Europe. Uh, I highly recommend reading Tribes by Sebastian Younger, amazing book that breaks all of this down. And I feel like they've even... You know the the Democrats at this point have dug their heels in even further, criticizing every uh, Trump supporter and and calling them complicit within uh, that ex- that that terrible experience. Right now, this is all fine and not wrong, but I want to point out that Ben Shapiro and people like him do the exact same thing to the left. They look at Antifa or BLM rioters and they lump in everybody on the left for overlooking it or condoning it or being complicit in it when people like me who feel that we are on the left have want nothing to do with that, right? And there's many, many, many of us. I mean, I have, some, I have friends that are much more liberal than I am that are vehemently against all of these things and spoke up against these things. And we still get lumped in with the left because it's conven- convenient for Ben Shapiro to build an audience and have something to fight against. So in some ways, he's very spot on right here, but in other ways, he's incredibly hypocritical because he does the same thing. He doesn't, he doesn't introduce with caveats that this is a small portion of the left that is participating in these. So I like that he is getting a taste of his own medicine here, and maybe this will cause a little bit of self-reflection within Shapiro to understand that people on the left don't necessarily agree, condone, or, or encourage violence rioting, looting, and things like that. I wanted to break that down. I thought this is going to be a very short segment here, but I thought that was an important thing to point out because when we see things like that from somebody who considers themselves an intellectual like Ben Shapiro, I think it's important to point out how how we can expose blind spots. And I don't think, if I think if I was sitting down with Shapiro and having this conversation, I think that he would have enough integrity to acknowledge that. Um, but I thought it was well worth pointing out in just this segment because I was getting into this, wanting to hear what he had to say and seeing an opposing viewpoint, but I don't want him to play victim either. Right. I think he's done an amazing job and been incredibly consistent over this election fraud deal over all of it. And it's been really enlightening for me to see. But at the same time, I want to hold him accountable for his own uh, internal hypocrisy and and his own blind spots. Because there are so many of us who are speaking up that don't condone violence, rioting, looting on either side and have taken a stand against that. Right. But we still get lumped in with the left. And that is, in my opinion, problematic and doesn't provide enough nuance. And that would be different if it was a challenging thing to do to provide that nuance. But it's a simple caveat in a spoken monologue, as he does every day. So it's low-hanging fruit to be able to provide that caveat that this is a small portion of the left, but he never seems to do that. Now, if you're Steven Crowder, I can totally understand why you wouldn't do that because Steven Crowder isn't really a commentator. He's more of an entertainer. He's kind of a comedian, right? So that's fine. But with Ben Shapiro claiming that facts don't care about your feelings, well, the fact is that most people on the left 
did not condone that. Now the politicians, I feel like are, were complicit in it and they did a really shitty job. That's not me though. That's not political commentators on the left. That's not Jimmy Dore. That's not crystal ball, right? These people on the left who were, who were speaking up. Well, like we didn't, we, we, we just got lumped in with the rest of them in the same way that you're being lumped in with your idiots on your side. So something to think about, something to explore and something I really wanted to point out with that being said, let's move it on. Well, in the aftermath of what happened uh, this week at the Capitol, Republicans are tucking their tails and running as far away from Trump as they can get, even his most fervent supporters. And Washington Post did a great job um, sharing just some some differences uh, between what people were saying before January 6th and what people are saying after. I thought this was fun. I thought this was a really fun job. Now, Washington Post is owned by Amazon, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, and Amazon has a $600 million contract with the CIA uh, to provide information. So I'm not really necessarily a, a, a Washington Post fan, but I thought this little um, co- little uh, collage of hypocrisy was worth pointing out. So let's go ahead and just check this out real quick. Those who respect the voters simply telling the voters, go jump in a lake, the fact that you have deep concerns is of no moment to us, that jeopardizes, I believe, the legitimacy of this and subsequent elections. The president. That was on January 6th. That's Ted Cruz. President's language and rhetoric uh, often goes too far. I think yesterday, in particular, the president's language and rhetoric crossed a line and it was reckless. Uh, I disagree with it. Senator. That was January 7th, Ted Cruz. Dane sent out a text message Thursday night that said Dems are stealing the election. I never said the election was stolen. When you have the campaign arm, have an operation, I don't see those things go out, just so you know. If Republicans don't challenge and change the U.S. election system, there'll never be another Republican president elected again. President Trump should not concede. You're able to object. You're not doing anything wrong. Other people have objected. I just think it's a uniquely bad idea to delay this election. <laughs> Tonight, the president is going to rally support and say, listen, oh I think the election was rigged for me. The president lost the election, and he knew he lost the election pretty quickly afterward. I was in the White House for several weeks after the election results were called, and we all knew it. But this rhetoric started to take hold of it's been stolen, it's been rigged, and that is downright right wrong, and it's dangerous. The ballots that are fraudulent, and if we're wrong... We will be made fools of. Yep. But if we're right, a lot of them will go to jail. So let's have trial by combat. I meant we would have trial by the, the machines being in combat with each other and the ballots being in combat with each other. Yo, Rudy. Wow, 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 wow. Good stuff there. Good stuff. And that's the funny thing, right? And I wanted to point that out just because, like I said, on this show, we point out hypocrisy a lot. But um, those were, in many times, statements within 24 hours or within definitely within 36 hours of one another. So we got to think about that. We had people saying, <laughs> completely changing their tune, because what they were trying to do by aligning themselves with Trump and doing this whole dog and pony show um, was trying to cash in on his very uh, outspoken base that loves to show up at the polls, right? They will show up and vote. So if you can play along, even though you know it's meaningless, you may be able to cash in on some Trump voters 
years. And now instead of that, it's blowing up in their face and they have to distance themselves from Trump in order to even have can be considered for reelection whenever they're whenever the next election comes around. So it's going to be really funny to watch how slimy, slippery swamp creatures like Ted Cruz slip them away to slip their way out of this situation when reelection comes up. And don't forget that in Ted Cruz's last election, he was he there was a high, high Democrat turnout in Texas. Beto O'Rourke had a very, like very Bernie Sanders like base, and he, they had the highest turnout for a non-general election in Texas, I think, ever. So you have this, you know, this this Texas that is that is it just bringing people in from California. You have a very charismatic Beto O'Rourke who is going to challenge Ted Cruz again. It's going to be hard, really hard. For Ted Cruz to walk himself away from this, and I'm really curious to see how that all goes. I think Lindsey Graham will be fine, and these other people will be fine. Of course, Rudy Giuliani has tarnished his record as much as he's going to, but we'll see how it goes. Really interesting stuff there, and I wanted to share that with everybody. So let's go ahead and move on to the next thing. So I'm going to ask you a question real quick before we even get into this. How much money... Well, let's do two questions. How much money do you think that vaccine producers should make from the vaccine? Okay, so that's your baseline number. And how much money do you think that vaccine producers like Pfizer and Moderna are going to make? Right? I'm not I'm not an anti-profit guy here. People could make money, but how much money do you think they should make and how much money do you think they're going to make? Let's just take that for a second, run through your head, put some numbers in your head, and then check this shit out. All right, this is a tweet from The Intercept. Pfizer has made an estimated $975 million from the vaccine this year and is expected to earn another $19 billion with a B in 2021. Pfizer's profit margin on the vaccine is estimated between 60 and 80%. Moderna is projected to make more than $10 billion from its vaccine next year. Let's not forget that we paid for this shit. Taxpayers paid for this. We paid for these vaccines now. We're paying for them again, maybe through our corrupt-ass scam of an insurance company or maybe some other scam nested within a scam that is the American healthcare system, but their profit margins are in between 60 and 80% on a pharmaceutical that we paid for. Now, I'm not getting the vaccine. I'm not really that concerned about what I'm having to pay for because it's not my thing, but this is fucking incredible. Why is this allowed to happen? Pfizer was guaranteed $2 billion to produce this vaccine from the federal government. That's our money. And Moderna, we paid for that. We paid for that. And these motherfuckers are going to make in between 10 and $20 billion in 2021 off a vaccine that we paid for. What? This isn't, if you think this, oh, well, just capitalism, this is not capitalism. This is fucking insane. And to look at this and say here that this isn't even getting distributed properly, right? This has been such a shit, it's already a shit show. It was, it's been a shit show the whole time. And there's been a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of things that have popped out. But this, this is worth noting. This is worth seeing. This should be news everywhere, but it's just an obscure tweet from The Intercept instead. How is this not being covered? How is this justice? What in the fuck is going on? Like, I don't think I even had that much more to say about this. Aside from, holy shit. Holy shit. And people are frustrated with their healthcare system and somebody's, and people are surprised? 
At the same time, we have Republicans saying that, oh, well, I, you know, everybody loves their, their, their health care. People love their private health care insurance. That's the reason that this, these prices are this way. Our American health care system is garbage. Yes, it's innovative. I understand that. But there, we had to bridge the gap somewhere between worshiping innovation and capitalism and whatever the fuck this is. Because this is dirty, dirty money. Dirty money. Not to mention the amount of free advertising that these companies get on every mainstream media outlet with zero pushback. Zero pushback. It is not, you're not allowed to have a debate on the efficacy of vaccines on mainstream media. Have you heard Rachel Maddow bring up one concern about the vaccine, although there are numerous concerns that are very much valid. And this is the case. This, really, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Had to share that with you guys, and now let's keep it moving. All right, so we've heard a lot of rumblings about impeachment and the 25th Amendment, so I wanted to get in here and break down kind of where we're at, how this works, and why this makes sense. Because you think with Trump kind of going out of office anyways in the next week or so, um, on the 20th, he will no longer be president. Why is it valid to impeach him? Why is the 25th Amendment being um, even floated at all? Pence has said he will not invoke the 25th Amendment, so that's kind of out, even though there was a lot of support for it. He, it was really hinged upon his decision, so we're not going to get too far into the 25th Amendment thing because it's not going to happen, even though there was a lot of support with it and it was worth noting. But I think that the Politico did a good job here with this article, breaking down exactly how Trump's second impeachment will work. And he says, here's why Democrats are dashing to remove the president days before his term ends and what it means if a, to hold a trial if Trump has already left office, which is, I mean, that you would think that, like, what does it matter if he's impeached after he's already out of office? So we're going to get into this, and I'm going to do my best to read, even though I'm not a great reader here. Question number one, it says, why impeach now? Democrats are clear-eyed that impeaching Trump uh, precisely one week before he's set to leave office might leave some Americans perplexed, of course, but House leaders have emphasized multiple reasons for push, pushing forward anyways. The top one is the egregiousness of Trump's conduct. Trump didn't make um, intemperate comments at a rally when he urged the supporters to march on the Capitol and pressure lawmakers into halting certification of President-elect Joe Biden's win. Those remarks were culminated alongside a months-long effort to convince voters that the 2020 election had been stolen stolen from them. All right. So that makes sense, right? Everybody's pretty upset with Trump's conduct. Now... I said, will any Republicans support impeachment this time? Yes, a dozen House Republicans and maybe more are considering joining the Democrats on the eve of the House's impeachment. House GOP conference, uh, House GOP conference chair Liz Cheney announced she would vote to impeach Trump, and GOP reps John Katko and Adam Kinzinger said they would too, particularly after it was reported that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has indicated Trump's actions qualify him for removal from office. There was a feeling Tuesday night that a flood of Republican support for impeachment might be on its way. So far, at least three Republican senators have publicly signaled their openness to convict at this time. And a fourth, Senator Mitt Romney, became the first lawmaker, yada, yada, yada. We know he's going to vote to impeach. So, another question here. These are all really great questions. They did a good job with this article. Can the Senate hold a trial for Trump 
after he leaves office. Yes, even though McConnell has privately expressed an openness to ousting Trump, he also recently signals that the Senate wouldn't take up the House's articles of impeachment until it returns to session on January 19th, a day before Biden leaves office. Trump's few legal defenders say the Senate has no business holding impeachment trials for a private citizen, which Trump would become on January just or January 20th, just 24 hours after the proceeding starts. So on, on January 20th, he would now be a private citizen, no longer the sitting president. But the Constitution also empowers the Senate to impose a sentence on the conviction, even if it, even if that isn't limited to removal from office. Okay. A convicted president could be barred from holding federal office again, making Trump 24 a Trump 2024 comeback impossible. A Senate conviction could also strip Trump of his post-presidential salary and other perks from being the ex-president. That's where I get where I think this is very valid. His conduct has been incredibly inappropriate over the last several months. I understand at the very beginning after the election that he was contesting things. Over 90 court cases were thrown out. Um, and there was some pretty shady election stuff going on. There was some evidence of that. I understand. But at the same time, once those election results were certified, it was over, man. Like, and he just kept going, kept going, rallying up his base. And I would like to see his post-presidential salary um, be revoked. And I would like to see him not be able to hold office yet again. I don't want to deal with Trump 2024. Um, I'm assuming one of the Trump children will fill in there, um, likely Ivanka or Don Jr. or both. Um, I wouldn't. I would not. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility for there to be a Trump Trump. Uh, ticket if one of them was to become the candidate. And I think the only one that has the PR appeal to be able to pull that off is Ivanka. That's my own thought there, but we will see. Um, what would a Senate trial look like? This basically goes into saying it could be a handful of days or a long time. But we'll break in here. It says that a traditional trial with similar lengths of argument would be uh, would extend a couple of weeks and consume the sentence focus during the early days of the Biden administration. A truncated trial will include significantly briefer presentations and acknowledgement of the more public nature of the evidence against Trump, which is very likely a lengthier half a day at a time trial permits the Senate to focus on other business for larger parts of the day. So they're not completely focused and consumed with the trial during um, the first days of the Biden presidency. And they go into here and talk about um, who will represent him because a lot of his legal counsel is bailed. He's kind of left down to like, Rudy Giuliani and I guess like Lynn Wood maybe, which is they don't have the best uh, track record. So that's pretty embarrassing as well. What if the Senate did remove Trump before January 20th? This appears to be unlikely, but not impossible. It would require the Senate to return to session earlier than planned and a procedural gambit in that itself would be difficult to arrange as a single senator can object to doing so. So if they want to break recess early, they need unanimous consent of the Senate to do so. And that's very unlikely. So we've got a lot of time here. And a lot of these people that are speaking up right now, that are that are making moves and and speaking to these Republicans that are speaking to an, in, impeach Trump, they need political capital very fast, right? They're in the fucking doghouse as far as as far as public perception goes, and I'm curious to see what their approval ratings are, um, and that'll probably come out in the next handful of days if they're not already out. So. These people, Josh Hawley for one, Ted Cruz or two, who kind of spearheaded the situation for contesting election results, they need a PR turnaround in a bad way 
quickly because they just became very embarrassed. They doubled down on, on this Trump thing and it blew up in their face. There was probably some political calculus involved in that, and don't say it. Maybe it was a good idea, you know. Maybe five times out of ten, it would have worked out really well for you. But this time, it most definitely did not. So you're going to see a lot of people virtue signaling, a lot of people turning tail, and a lot of people changing their tune going forward. And it's really interesting to see exactly how this is all going to play out. I'm curious. I think it'd be I think it'd be a productive thing for the country to impeach him even after he's out of office if we can do it quickly. But at the same time, I think there's more critical things that can be worked on, like $2,000 checks, appropriate stimulus, um, decreasing some wasteful spending, which is definitely not going to happen within the Biden administration. But I think there's more important things. I th- I'm really I support this if it can get done quickly and we can just move the fuck on because I really don't want to be giving Trump. I don't want to hear Trump all the time anymore. I'd like to see where are we going to go from here. What's gonna What's it gonna look like to move forward? How can we make progress? And and really focusing on that as opposed to dealing with another impeachment of Trump and all the the consequent virtue signaling that is a result of things like that. And I don't want to give this motherfucker any more airtime. I'm so exhausted of this, and I know you are too. So I'm curious to see where it goes from here. I, I support it as long as it can get done quickly and we can move on and do something productive because that has been a huge issue um, over the last year within our federal government. I mean, seriously, we've been debating about $1,200 checks or $600 checks or $2,000 checks uh, in direct stimulus for eight months. Like, we can do better as a nation. And it's, it, to me, frankly, incredibly embarrassing. This has been the, the most embarrassing year that I could imagine Um, for the United States of America, and we need to move forward. Trump has been banned, suppressed, deplatformed all over the place, and let's get into exactly what is going on. We've got an Axios article here saying all the platforms that have banned or restricted Trump so far. It's a nice little breakdown. Let's just get right into it. Reddit says Reddit has banned the subreddit group Donald Trump, a spokesperson confirmed to Axios on Friday. Reddit's site-wide policies prohibit content that promotes hate, promotes hate or encourages, glorifies, incites, or calls for violence against groups or of people or individuals. In accordance with this, we have been proactively reaching out to moderators, yada, yada, yada. While not an official group or page hosted by the president, one of the community's largest political communities dedicated to the support of President Trump. So Reddit, uh, Donald Trump is gone. All right, moving on. Twitch. Twitch disabled Trump's channel, citing the move as a necessary step to protect his community and prevent Twitch from being used to incite further violence. Um, by the way, Twitch is a live streaming software where people shoot each other in the face on video games. Just a quick side note there. Um, in light of yesterday's shocking attack on the Capitol, we have disabled President Trump's Twitch channel. Given the current extraordinary circumstances and the president's incendiary rhetoric, we believe this is a necessary step to protect our community and prevent Twitch from being used to incite further violence. Twitch was one of the first platforms in June to temporarily ban Trump's channel for hateful content around the Black Lives Matter protest over the summer. Shopify took down two stores affiliated with Trump and his organization and his merchandise. Shopify does not tolerate actions that incite violence based on recent events. We have determined that the actions by President Donald Day Trump violate our acceptable use policy which prohibits promotion or support of organizations, platforms, or people that threaten to condone violence to further a cause. As a result, we have terminated stores affiliated with President Trump. 
Uh, Shopify had until Friday gone the furthest in actually deplatforming Trump as his stores were permanently removed, not temporarily disabled. No more MAGA hats for you guys. Um, Twitter announced Friday that the platform will permanently ban President Trump's account effective immediately. After close review of recent tweets from at real Donald Trump, uh, at real Donald Trump's account and the context around them, we have permanently suspended the account due to the risk of further incitement of violence. Twitter said in a statement, it's Twitter's strongest ever action against the president of the president's account and comes in response to the risk of further incitement of violence. Yada, yada, yada. Google has pulled parlor. We're going to skip that. because We're going to talk about that later. YouTube. It's accelerating its effort, accelerating its enhancement. Oh, shit. I can't even talk. YouTube is accelerating its enforcement of election misinformation and voter fraud claims against Trump and other channels. Due to the extraordinary events that transpired yesterday, and given to given that the election results have been certified, any channel posting new videos with false claims in violation of our policies will now receive a strike, a penalty which temporarily restricts uploading or live streaming. Channels that receive three strikes in the same 90-day period will be permanently moved from YouTube. I am nervous about that. Um, context. YouTube is typically slow to take action on bad content accounts in response, while Swift was somehow benign compared to the competitors removing or disabling Trump's account. YouTube did remove the video Trump posted one day that addressed the capital violence without fully condemning it. Facebook. Facebook banned Donald Trump from posting on his account for at least the next two weeks until the transition of power to President-elect Joe Biden is complete. We believe the risk of, follow, of allowing the president to continue to use our service during this period are simply too great, Mark Zuckerberg said. On Wednesday, Facebook did remove the video of him not condoning it. Okay, cool. Moving on. Instagram banned Donald Trump from posting on his Facebook accounts for at least the next two weeks. Same thing there. Snapchat disabled Trump's Snapchat account um, Wednesday because it believes the account prom promotes and speaks hate and incites violence, a spokesperson said. We can confirm earlier today that we locked President Trump's Snapchat account. Snapchat is one of the first major social platforms to take serious action on Trump's account for threats to our democracy in June. When the company said it stopped promoting his account in its Discover section, which featured professional content and other promotional people. TikTok. TikTok is removing content violations and redirecting hashtags like hashtag storm the Capitol and hashtag Patriot Party to its community guidelines. All right. Hateful behavior and violence has no place on TikTok content or accounts that seem to incite, glorify, or promote violence in our community, uh, violate our community guidelines and will be promo removed. A TikTok spokesperson said other hashtags like stop the steal and QAnon have been redirected since last year. That's really interesting. Uh, TikTok is really inconsistent and unfair in their application of their community guidelines. That's a fact. It's it's a it's a fucking nightmare over there. Apple Apple suspended Parler. We're going to talk about that later. Discord says it has banned server the Donald per journalist Casey Newton. While there is no evidence of the server being used to organize the January 6 riots, Discord decided to ban the entire server um, today due to its overt connection with an online forum used to incite violence and plan an armed insurrection of the United States. So with while there is no evidence of the server being used to organize the January 6th riots, Discord decided to ban the entire server today due to its overt connection to an online forum used to incite violence and plan an armed insurrection of the United States. But there's no evidence of that. 
but the, there is, it's, that, that's the most conflicting statement I've ever heard in my life. Well, not the most, but it's up there. Uh, the Discord account was connected to the pro-Trump social network, the Donald.win. Uh, Pinterest, where Trump didn't have an account, has been limiting hashtags related to pro-Trump topics such as Stop the Steal since around November. Pinterest isn't a place for threats, promotion, or violence or hateful content. <laughs> Our team is continuing to monitor and remove harmful content, including misinformation and conspiracy theories that may incite violence. <laughs> I don't know who's, who the fuck is going to Pinterest for Stop the Steal merchandise and to incite violence. Like, I think Pinterest is the most benign uh, application of all time. Like, it's, that's, that's, I would, it would be so funny if the coup that overthrew the democracy in the United States was all organized on Pinterest. It's like your boards. It's like uh, kitchen appliances and overthrowing democracy. <laughs> All right. Stripe will no longer process payments for President Trump's campaign, which continues to fundraise, and then some other things that I'm not really familiar with. So, comments and thoughts on this. It's a little bit aggressive, I think. I understand why primary social media campaigns would have locked Trump out for uh, for weeks. Um, and I'm, I don't... I'm a little bit torn on that. I understand it. And if social media companies had a better track record coming up to this moment, then I think that we would be in a way better place and we could have a little bit more trust in them. But I also don't like that unelected um, CEOs and tech companies that have a very clear, uh, a very clear bias politically are owning the discord. I think this is a very, the, the discourse, excuse me, I don't like that these these tech monopolies essentially are owning discourse and in charge of what is allowed to be said and allowed to be heard and and really taking complete ownership of the Overton window. And to me, this really trips me out. I I, I can say that I, I understand where Twitter and Facebook and Instagram were coming from in banning the accounts until the transfer of power was over, given the what happened at the. Uh, at the Capitol on the 6th, but I don't like that they are full-on deplatforming people. I don't agree that Shopify can take down his stores. This, that, that's a little bit odd to me. I don't think you're, the, the stores were not used to incite violence. Obviously, Shopify is not a platform that you can use to organize a violent coup, okay, or this, you know, coup light as we had um, last week. So, this is a little bit, I think it's a little extreme and it seems very, very coordinated. Like this has been planned for some time and all they had to do was hit the button. And we're going to get into more censorship stuff because I think there's actually a bigger story than this in what happened with Parler. But this is, you know, whether you agree with it or not, this is concerning because what can happen with this, right? And what I think will happen with this in all of this situation is we're going to have this like Patriot Act 2.0 where the primary focus when it comes to the war on terror that for some reason is st still exists isn't uh, the Middle East. It's domestic terrorism. So if you if they, they justify surveilling all of us under the threat of domestic terrorism, then our information is not safe, right? This is this is not slowed down. This is not stopped. Assange and Snowden didn't slow this down. They just they just created a level of cognitive dissonance within the communities, right? So within our within our society. So. I'm torn on this. This is a really weird situation. I don't love it. I don't like the amount of power. I think that actually social media companies at this point are, they have a dictatorship on public opinion and public discourse, which I find very, very troubling. But 
As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts in the Patreon community or find me on Instagram and let me know what you think because this is one of those things where it's it's so tricky and so touchy that it's hard to really form a cohesive opinion of this unless you're a hyper-partisan where it just says this is a bullshit or this is completely justified. I'm definitely, I'm sure as fuck not cheering this on. But with that being said, let's get into what I feel is the biggest story of the week. Parlor is fucked. And this is a really challenging situation for them to be in. And I think it is incredibly, incredibly unfair. I'm going to state that here off the bat. I think what happened to Parlor is, is unjust, unfair, and incredibly problematic. So let's get into, you know, if you know me, you know I'm a Glenn Greenwald fanboy. And I'm not ashamed to be one. So he wrote this article, and I think this is just so incredibly well done. We're going to break down some of my favorite parts of this article before we even get into it, I want to say if you're not subscribed to Glenn Greenwald, Substack is greenwald.substack.com. Just go to Substack, find Glenn Greenwald, and subscribe to his channel there. It is phenomenal. One, just an incredible, incredible journal, journalist and such a powerful speaker, powerful writer, huge fan of his work, and cannot give him enough credit for the way that he breaks these things down with a very critical mind and a very objective stance. So, is this article is how Silicon Valley, in a show of monopolistic force, destroyed Parler. So we go down here and it says, it starts off the article saying, critics of Silicon Valley censorship for years have heard the same refrain. Tech platforms like Facebook, Google, and Twitter are private companies that can host or ban whoever they want. If you do not like what they're doing, the solution is not to complain or to regulate them. Instead, go create your own social media platform that operates the way that you think it should. The founders of Parler heard that suggestion and tried. In, in August 2018, they created a social media platform similar to Twitter, but, with, but which promised far greater privacy protections, including a refusal to aggregate user data in order to monetize them to advertise or algor, 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 uh, algorithmically evaluate their interests in order to promote content our products to them. They also promised far greater free speech rights, rejecting the increasing, increasingly repressive content policy, policing of Silicon Valley giants. So what he's saying there is that was, that's been the primary criticism. We've all heard that. If you don't like the way that Facebook and Twitter work, then just go make another platform. Parler did that. A very Twitter like platform whose marketing uh, angle was, Hey, we are not going to create an algorithm that, that, that turns your entire social media feed into an echo chamber that just confirms your own ideas and never challenges you. That's not what we're doing here. We're going to be pro-free speech. Now, this did attract a lot of right-wingers because those were the people that were being suppressed the most on the main platforms. Totally makes sense. And Parler was doing exactly what they were told to do. They were creating a platform with a different angle and promoting that angle and the idea that they didn't have moderation policies is incredibly false. They had very strict guidelines on what could be, what could be shared, and violence was violence or condoning violence of a coup on the nation was all, were all violations of their policies. Now, just like any other social media platform, there's things that slip through the cracks, right? If you want to talk about it, like the most amount of of, of child pornography that is going on in the world is on, on Facebook platforms, right? So that's happening everywhere. We also have, and we're going to get into more of that, like violent dictators that still have Twitter accounts. So is this really, the question is, is this really about what happened on the 6th or is this about something else? So let's go ahead and get down here 
and Glenn gets into some amazing stuff here. I highly recommend that you guys go read this article. Um, let's see where we at. Okay. Okay. And we're moving on here to kind of the, the hypocrisy that we're seeing here. And that's to, that's to say nothing of the endless number of hypocrisies with Silicon Valley giants feigning opposition to violent rhetoric and political extremism. Amazon, for instance, is one of the CIA's most profitable partners with a $600 million contract to provide services to the agency and is constantly bidding for more. On Facebook and Twitter, one finds official accounts for the most repressive and violent regimes on earth, including Saudi Arabia and pages devoted to propaganda on behalf of the Egyptian regime. Does anyone think these tech giants have a genuine concern about violence or extremism? And here we see the Facebook page uh, for the English language account for the Saudi Ministry of Justice. Goes on to say, so why did Democratic politicians and journalists focus on Parler rather than Facebook and YouTube? Why did Amazon, Google, and Apple make a flamboyant showing of removing Parler from the internet while leaving much larger platforms with far more extremism and advocacy of violence flowing on a daily basis? Is it in, is it in part because of these Silicon Valley giants, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Donate enormous sums of money to Democrat, the Democratic Party and their leaders. So, of course, Democrats will cheer them rather than call for punishment or their removal from the Internet. Part of it is because Parler is an upstart, much easier to target or destroy than Facebook or Google. In part because the Democrats are about to control the executive branch and both houses of Congress, leaving Silicon Valley giants eager to please them by silencing their adversaries. This corrupt motive was made expressingly clear by the longtime Clinton operative, uh, Jennifer Palmieri. And she tweets, It has not escaped my attention that the day social media companies decided there actually is more they can do to police Trump's destructive behavior was the same day they learned Democrats would share all the congressional committees that oversee them. Wow. That is incredibly well said. Now, he finishes up here saying, no authoritarians believe they are authoritarians, no matter how rep repressive are the measures they support. Censorship, monopoly power, no fly list for American citizens without due process. They tell themselves those they are attacking and silencing are so evil, are terrorists, that anything done against them is noble and benevolent, not despotic and repressive. This is how American liberals currently think and they fortify the control of Silicon Valley monopolies over our political lives, exemplified by the overnight destruction of a new popular competitor. What has been done to Parler is anti-American. It is anti-American. The hypocrisy has, this is, this is a 10 out of 10 on hypocrisy from social media companies. I expect this video to do nothing. On social media, I've said every keyword that will get this thing flagged. I may not even put it up on social media because of the situation that we're, we're in right here. But I am going to take a very aggressive stance here because this is unfair. You can't tell. You, you, they gave Parler 24 hours to completely adjust their moderation policy, which already exists, and then pretend that this is some app for right-wing extremism. This is what happens. You you censor conservative voices all over the internet, even when they don't deserve it, or just dissenting voices in general, right? It's not necessarily about conservative voices. Those were the low-hanging fruit. But this is voices from the left that challenge the establishment as well, are all suppressed. The establishment owns 
social media companies. And any dissenting voices are going to be suppressed. And that's why Parler, even though it started with right-wingers, was going to move to people from the left as well. And I thought it might become an application that had really high-quality discourse because of the people it was going to attract actually were conservatives and really were liberals, not neocons and neolibs, right? So that put us in a very different situation. I was very excited to see how it was going to go. I got zero traction on there because the algorithm isn't set up to feed you content that you agree with or else you could blow up on there like TikTok. TikTok has a very advanced algorithm that feeds people exactly what they love and it's a great uh, great platform for going viral. That was not the situation with Parler. Parler, I thought, had a more sustainable business model in the way that it encouraged discourse and now it's been quashed even though the rhetoric of these giant companies, well, if you don't like it, go make another one. They did that and this monopolistic force came down on them and even they can't even Amazon isn't even hosting their servers anymore. And Amazon holds the majority of servers in this country. So it's like, what are we going to, what are they going to do here? Like this is fucked up. This is terrible. And this is a bad precedent to set. So I'm, I'm vehemently against this. And I, under, I don't, and the thing is most people on parlor that are posting crazy shit, like Marjorie Taylor green, it's harmless. Who cares what she has to say? Like bad ideas are fine. Combat them with good ideas, not censorship. This is a problem. And this is just the beginning. Keep that in mind. This is just the beginning of what we'll be seeing going forward. With that being said, I want to move on here. Please go subscribe to Glenn Greenwald. But I think where we're at now is that blessed time of the show. That magical, magical moment where I give you something to think about. Okay. We're in an interesting spot right here. A lot of things are going on. A lot of things are going on at the same time. A lot of noise out there, right? An attempted coup, even though it was kind of not. You know? It was kind of not. But if it was, it was very ineffective. It's like a playground coup. But (laughs) the funny thing is, that I looked at this and I said, okay, America is very distracted right now. We're divided and we're distracted. And people, mostly in left-leaning media, are feeding into that. Feeding into that. And there was another quote here from Glenn Greenwald that said, there are more adjectives besides fascist treason and harmless protest that can be used. But how often do you see something in between those two? So there's been this increase in divisiveness and a lot of stuff going on policy-wise, right? We've got another impeachment coming up. We've got a lot of deplatforming happening. And one thing that the U.S. government is incredible at is taking advantage of a crisis. It happened in 9-11 with the Patriot Act, flat-out blatant 
lies that have been exposed by Edward Snowden on how they were surveilling American citizens. And my thought is here, and this is what I want you to think about, I want you to consider, is how will they take advantage of it this time? What kind of power creep is going to happen through this distraction, through this divisiveness? We're so distracted looking at one another and blaming somebody who doesn't agree with us of being uh, a socialist or a communist or an anarchist or a white supremacist or transphobic or fill in the blank with whatever hyperbolic phrase that you want to use to belittle your opposition. All that's happening and giving those in power that created the policies that trickle down into whatever systemic issue that you care about, those people now have a lot of leeway in creating new legislation and new restrictions and maybe some new spying policies when it comes to American citizens. There has been a, a shift happened not long after 9-11 that we, and this is, this is out there, right, that the threats weren't coming Right, the, the belief was, the narrative was, that the threats weren't coming from overseas. The biggest threat to America was domestic terror. And when you can start to label people as domestic terrorism and believe that you're righteous and virtuous in doing so, you can justify a lot of actions that are really, really sketchy. And you can get, you can manipulate a majority of America to agree with that. And that, my friends, is Orwellian as fuck. So what do we do about it? Where do we go from here? I don't know. That's why this segment is called Something to Think About. Because I want you to consider that and view what is happening in our capital through that lens. What kind of power creep is coming? Because it very much is coming. Okay, it's been happening, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter, for decades, for decades. The best thing that Biden can do is limit the power of the executive branch over this next couple of years that he's in office before Kamala gets in there. And I don't foresee Kamala limiting the power of anything that she has to do with, right? Will that happen? Unlikely. But be on the lookout for that power creep. It's happening. It's coming. Patriot Act 2.0. What happened at the White House is going to be a justification for an infringement on our rights. Mark my words. Keep your eyes open. It's coming. That's not a conspiracy. That's a, that's, that's a, uh, a projection based on previous actions and evidence. Thanks, everybody, for showing up. Love you guys. Share the show if you love it. Make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And please, if you are down to support on Patreon, get your ass over there. Get yourself involved as an operative or join the deep state. Link is in the show notes of this show. Bonus episode every week. Sourced by you and your questions. Keep your head on straight, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.